Amen. Thank you, Mac Ave. Thank you, Pastor E, for inviting me. I uh, appreciate Pastor Leon and all the other elders here. Just uh, love what you guys are doing. First time I've been in the building. And then I come in, I think I see a Hammond B3, and I'm like, we're going to have church today. And then nobody played it. But no, worship was great. We love uh, worshiping with you all. And just thank you for the invite. Um, I love to see what God is doing here on the east side. We're always careful when we come to the east side because we live on the west side, best side. But um, we, uh, we do love coming here. I know. Don't, let me get out. Let me get to my car before y'all blow me up. But um, we've got a few passages of Scripture we're going to look at today. And I want to set up the actual passage of Scripture that we're going to use by referencing... You can't even see me, can you, behind this thing? <laughs> Man, this thing is huge. <laughs> but um, I want us to pray a prayer together this morning that I think you're going to know... And it's what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And I learned this in King James Version. So we're going to pray it in King James Version, if that's okay. I know you all use the ESV. But um, would you pray with me this morning the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as we prayed that, and and Jesus taught his disciples to pray that, one of the things that always hits me in that prayer, he says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we we read the book of Revelation, John gives us a picture of what is going to happen in heaven. We turn to Revelation 7, 9 through 12, and we read, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the beauties we see of heaven is that people from all around the globe will be worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says a number that you can't even count will be there from every ethnicity. But should we strive for diversity on earth as it is and will be in heaven? Or when we talk about diversity upon earth, do we just mean gender, age? Should we subscribe to what's called the homogeneous unit principle, which 
uh, a guy named Donald McGavin started, well, he probably didn't start it, but he really espoused it um, in our history here. It's where you take a section of society in which all members have the same characteristics and those type things in common. And a lot of churches were planted with that in mind. We want everybody to look like us because it's simply easier to get along. But is that what the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to? Our text today is out of Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And I want us to look at this text and see what Jesus wants from us. I therefore, this is Paul writing, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In our society today, there's much upheaval. There's much disunity. And that is why I want to look at this scripture today. And I've titled this message, Unity and Diversity, because we have the same Father. Unity and diversity because we have the same Father. It's interesting today, Pastor Mike at Restore is actually preaching on the hard sayings of Jesus where he says, hate your father and mother. And today I'm preaching on unity and diversity because we have the same Father. Very ironic. I think we're bipolar. You see, you can have union, but not unity. And I'll illustrate this by, have you ever had cats in the house? Well, tie two cats' tails together and hang them over a clothesline and see what happens. They're unified, but there's no unity. Have you ever thought of the word university? A while ago, university was stated as the art of finding unity in diversity. Matter of fact, if you take the words apart, university, una is one, versus which is part of that is turned, turned into one. And the goal was many people coming together, but learning and being unified. When we come to the Christian faith, do you think of the art of finding unity in diversity? The Christian faith should be one of harmony. We see Jesus Christ bringing people together. Yes, we see him dividing, but only over certain things. But do we have unity? We don't all have similar backgrounds. We don't all have the same worldview And because of this, Paul in Ephesians, the first three chapters, is saying how we should live. Then he comes to chapter 4, and he says, this is how you do it. I want you to live this way, and I want you to be unified. A few weeks ago, we saw a shooting on one of the ball fields in Washington, D.C. as the Republicans 
were practicing for a baseball game they were going to have with the Democrats. And we saw, actually, Republicans and Democrats praying for one another. There was a spirit of, there was a tragedy, they all came together. And it was a beautiful thing, but we all knew it wasn't going to last. We all knew that. They're going to start harpooning one another with insults. They're going to start hurling accusations. And the arrogance that comes out of our government, the disunity that comes out of our government, is that not even sadder when we see that in our churches? When tragedy strikes, we all seem to come together and and pray for what has happened. But once that has passed, where is our unity? You see, when we became a child of God, when Jesus Christ saved you, when you put your faith in his son, when you put your faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross and recognize that he was your Lord and Savior, that he conquered sin, death, and hell, you have now been adopted into his family. You see, Jesus becomes our big brother. God is our father. Those of you who, anybody here been adopted? My wife, and that's it. How many of you have adopted people? Little children. Uh, Nobody's adopted anybody. Okay. Downstairs, okay. We've got some. Y'all know what adoption is, right? I wasn't planning on going this far, but when you are adopted, you have the same legal rights as the biological children. Now, there's only been one human that never needed to be adopted by God, and that is the only begotten son of God. He was the biological child of God. You say, but he was God. Yes, he was God. He's equal with God. But he did not need to be adopted. He was the biological child. We, though, have been adopted. We have the same legal standing as Jesus Christ does with God. Is that not amazing to you? I do want to say something about the only begotten Son of God because we all quote John 3.16. The only begotten Son of God is pertaining to being the only one of His kind or class very unique. And that was Jesus. He's the only person that was 100% God, 100% man, that did not need to be adopted into God's family as all of us did. I think about adoption And I think about the the movie where Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are twins, right? That's like Eric and I. I'm Danny DeVito, though. Okay, you're Arnold. Okay, okay. Just want to get that straight because I saw a lot of people thinking I was Arnold. I don't know. Yeah. In John 17... Jesus prays to his father. And listen to some of the words, verse 11 in John 17. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, 
which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This is called the high priestly prayer, and Jesus is praying this to his Father, that his followers would be as one, united, bonded together, This has always been the heart of God for his church. This is not just anyone calling us to this, though. This is our Father. When you were growing up, and an adult or father or uncle who served in that role, did you listen to them and seek to obey them? Many times I did not. But as I've gotten older, I've seen the wisdom in being obedient to my father because he knows best. And here we have a father, the heart for his universe that he has created, saying, I want my kids to be unified. If you're a father or a mother, is it not chaotic in the house when the kids are bickering and fighting? You just want to take that backhand and do what? Not to say it's right, but it's chaos. If you have truly been born again, it is our job. It is our mission to be obedient to the Father and live peaceably with our siblings, our brothers and sisters. But you say, how do I do that? Man, I get up in the morning. I can't even agree with myself half the time. That's my problem. How do I do this? Well, we need to go no further than when we look in Ephesians 4 and verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You see, Paul is writing here with relational characteristics to one another. And he lays these qualities out. Let's look at these. He says, with all humility. Now, let me tell you what humility is not. I tell Pastor E, man, you are a good looking man. He's like, nah, man, I'm not really good looking. That's not humility. He's a very good looking man, right? Yeah, see, his wife thinks so. It's not humility to go, no, no, I'm not, no, no. It's not to have low self-esteem. Humility is a loneliness of mind in which you value others higher than yourself. You care about others' welfare more than your own welfare. It is manifested in how we see Jesus becoming a man and coming to this earth. God of very gods, who created all, then becomes part of the creation. 
That is humility personified. Utter selflessness. This is the kind of love that Jesus had for his people. Being humble, sacrificially loving others. Gentleness, as the verse continues. This is not weakness. Gentleness is a calm and soothing disposition. It is used of mildness. In contrast to being harsh in attitude. It's the opposite of roughness and severity. This trait not only helps to avoid unnecessary conflict, it demonstrates a love we are meant to display at all times. Being gentle. When you have a newborn baby in your arms and you can bench 450 pounds on the rack, do you need to prove your power with the baby in your arms? No. Gentleness. Yes, you could crush the baby. So what? So what? So we need to be gentle with one another. Loving one another with this calm and soothing disposition. The only way we can do this, especially us men, is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Because we're like bulls in a china shop running through everything we come in contact with. At least most of us. We're not as nurturing as I think Jesus would want us to be. So we have humility, gentleness. Now we come to patience. One of the things that most of us lack in this room is patience, and I'm preaching to myself. Patience is a long time to come to anger. It is employed by God every day with us as sinners. It's employed by God to those who have not yet accepted His Son's work on the cross by not annihilating them for taking a breath of His air. Long-suffering stands over against impulsive hostility or impetuous reaction. In a manner of speaking, it suggests a long-burning fuse that ultimately fails to ignite. We just went through July 4th, didn't we? Most of those fuses were not long. And if you had a firecracker in your hand, you better get rid of it. Because what's going to happen? It's going to blow. We should not be that way. We should have this long fuse that we let burn, that we let burn, and ultimately it goes out. This is not to mean that we don't confront people that have sinned against us. But when we do it, we do it in humility, in gentleness, in patience, helping them understand what is happening. It's a forbearance in love. It's a buffer zone that absorbs sin against you. You don't take offense at the first slight. And when you're in a, in a crowd like this where we have multiple ethnicities, people can say really stupid things and not maybe mean it or mean it. But how are we so to react to either one of those the same way? 
doesn't mean we don't confront, but it means we have patience. We talk at Restore about loving one another well. And one of the tenets of our membership is reconciling swiftly. So if we're going to do anything fast, it should be reconciliation. Bearing with one another in love. So we've got humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, in our society, love right now, it seems, is defined with feeling or emotion. And to some degree, that can be true. But love is actually taking actions that benefit others. Love are tangible things that you do for another. Not just feeling and emotion. But those tangible physical actions should have flowed out of them feeling and emotion for the other person. Bearing with one another love is a command of a temper, a restraint of your passions. It's a holding up of someone else. So we have humility. What's number two? Gentleness. Three. Patience. Four is bearing with one another in love. You see, I sat on an elder board with three other men at Restore Church. We push back well against one another. I'm not going to say we fight, because I wouldn't say it's a fight, but we push back. We have conflict once in a while. But we can do that because we know we have each other's back. We're not going anywhere. We're not leaving the church because of conflict. We're not going anywhere. We are here. And so we can have tension, godly tension in our midst for a short amount of time. Because we know at the end of the day, we have one another in forbearing in love. Now the verse continues to say, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager means you're wanting to do something pretty much, very much fast. We hear about the eager beaver. He's sitting there chewing, building his house fast. It's characterized by a keen expectancy or interest. This is not a passive endeavor. Eager is never a passive endeavor. We must be intentional. It's a very, very active word. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, we didn't create unity within this body. You don't create unity within this body. Unity was purchased within this body at the cross of Jesus Christ by what he did. And for us to understand what unity is, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 
12 and following. But before I do that, I don't want us to get confused with uniformity and unity. The Bible doesn't talk about us being in uniformity. I think of a marching band when I think of uniformity. Everybody's got the same outfit on. The military would be another picture of uniformity. Everybody has the same hat, same haircut, same everything. This is not uniformity. This is unity. I am free in Christ to be who God has made me to be. You are free in Christ to be who God has made you to be. I live between Linwood and Dexter, um, Joy and Davison, in that pocket of Detroit right there. And as I witness to young cats on the street, my goal is not for them to look like me physically. I will never be hip and cool. I'm 45 and frumpy. It's just not going to happen. But when you're witnessing to somebody, a lot of churches look so similar that what they hear is, oh, you want me to look like you. It's not, no, you are free to be who God has created you to be. I will never wear FUBU jeans. They just don't look good on me. Fat bottoms even look worse. Okay, never mind. I've never put on fat bottoms. But we are free to be who God has created us to be. So we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. Read with me 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For if one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there will be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot save the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think is less honorable, we bestow, bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one 
member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are a body of Christ and individually members of it. How do we get along? Many of our members, when the verdict came down for Philandro Castro, were hurting in our body, as I'm sure many of you were. As a white man, what is my response to my brothers and sisters that are hurting? According to this scripture, I am to suffer with them. How do we do that? How do we do that? I look no further than the book of Acts and how the early church was in each other's lives, being explicably apart, intertwined with one another, not just meeting on a Sunday, but in each other's lives daily. And I know one of the beauties about Mac Ave is the community in which you all live. You learn, play, rest, do all of these things together beautifully. So I urge you, if you're not bound tightly where you can suffer with others, that you can rejoice with others, please become a part of that community. Because that is how it happens. You see, the body has unity. But what kind of unity does it have? I think of our identity. Once you have been adopted into God's family, what becomes your last name? My last name is Bontrager. But that is not really who I am. I am now Christian. I am part of God's family Your first identity must be you're a child of the living God. And these are my brothers and sisters. And I think too many times we have had this ethnocentric identity as our first identity versus Christ as our first identity. And I'm not just talking about black people. I'm talking about white people. I'm talking about Chinese people. I'm talking about Asians. Same thing, right? I'm talking about Latinos. We have had our identity first and foremost be our ethnicity. And it must be Christian. We have the same father. Eric and I don't look the same, but we got the same daddy. We have the same daddy. When our first identity becomes our culture, our background, our politics, our race, things can get out of whack. I was talking to a guy, and he has a biker church. I know of a cowboy church. I actually know on the west coast of a surfer church. That becomes that church's identity. That's not really a church. Because what unites us is not 
something else. It is Jesus Christ, our brother, bringing us, reconciling us to the Father so that we could be adopted into the family of God so that now you are my brothers and sisters and I am your brother. The unity or agreement of Ephesians 4 was created by the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at verses 4 and following. Because what happens in this part is that the Holy Spirit took seven single entities and created something new, something beautiful. And this is a clear description of the Lord's work when He created this church here. There are seven ones that you'll see in this passage. It reminds me of a beautiful mosaic. Now, these aren't stained glass, but a lot of churches you go into have some beautiful stained glass, all different colors, and the light shines through. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And people take pictures of them, and they're everywhere. We have no stained glass either. I wish we did. Because it would make this point. But there's seven pieces of glass that are tightly woven with this bond of unity. They're welded together with these seven things. This is now a new piece. Would you look with me at what the verse says? There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Now this is all of us being called to this one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, the Lord's new unity results in this bond among believers Because of the oneness of all of these things. The calling, we have the same calling. We have the same Lord, the same baptism, the same faith. We have all of this in common. But sometimes there's agents that can get in the way of this. You could call it a solvent. You could call it a chisel. And it seeks to destroy the oneness. It's almost like a cancer that gets into a body. And we go off on thinking it's about this or this or this versus about the things that bring us together, these one. One body in Christ, one empowered by the Spirit, one captivated by hope, and is inspired by the Lord in whom we all have our faith, is made one by a divine baptism, and is one with the Father who is in all. How do we maintain this unity? How do we maintain this unity in this diversity? We must strive together under one common vision and one common purpose, and that is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. 
That is our mission here on these streets. That is why we proclaim the gospel in these streets, is to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ so that others will be adopted into this family and that they become brothers and sisters of the Most High. We have the same Father. He is the best Father. In August 24th of 1996, Kentucky Missionary Baptist Church in Benton, Arkansas, burnt to the ground. Pastor was Eric Daniel Harris. And as they were putting out the fire, he came in and grabbed some buckets and started putting out the fire, but it was too late. The church had burnt to the ground. They did an investigation and they found that by the air conditioning unit, that is where the fire had started. The investigation went on for three years. This church had caught on fire in Arkansas. At the end of the investigation, Pastor Harris was arrested. And he was sentenced. And you can look this up online. He had wadded some paper towels up and set them on fire and put them by the air conditioner, hoping to scorch the one wall. He tells in his deposition he did this to bring unity to his body because they were not unified, and he was hoping to put a work project before them. So he burnt the church down accidentally. If I hear of this church burning down, I'll know Eric did it and it was disunity that he was trying to solve. <laughs> Can you imagine? But this illustration points to we must, we must be in love with our Savior and in love with each other. We must be in love with each other. Because if we're not, craziness can ensue. Now, not everybody's going to burn their church down accidentally. But this is what it comes to sometimes when there is division and disunity. The pastor's pulling his hair, well, not pulling his hair out, but... <laughs> so how do we maintain this unity? in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love for bearing with one another. And this must be empowered by the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit empowering it, it will never happen. It'll be in futile efforts. As I close, I want to read a quote and then we'll be done. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Christianity affirms that at the heart of reality is a heart. A loving father who works through history for the salvation of his children. Man cannot save himself, for man is not the measure of all things, and humanity is not God. Bound by the chains of his own sin and finiteness, Man 
needs a savior. And so that is who I proclaim to you today. Savior is Jesus Christ. If he is your savior, he is your brother. And we have the same father. Live in unity, even in the midst of this diversity, because we have the same father. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we say those things, but do we seek to live them out? We see in Scripture, in Revelation 7, God, that you have people from across the globe worshiping at your feet. We won't even be able to count them. God, what amazing picture. What amazing picture of life on earth and what it can be like. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, we pray you would empower us to do these things that you have set forth, these fruits of the Spirit even. Humility gentleness, patience, and loving one another. Holy Spirit, we need your help in this. I need your help in this to love my neighbor as, my, as myself. But God, I pray that my love for you would, would grow daily and my love for each of my neighbors would grow daily. And God, that my love for my brothers and sisters would just be exuding from my life May we not have a spirit of competition, but of love. In Christ's name we pray these things because of what you did on the cross, Jesus. Amen.